Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to chapter 2, verse 12. I'm only going to look at verse 12 and 13 today. So, Father, we ask you to open the word to us. We cannot comprehend it without revelation by the Spirit, but you want to reveal your word. You want us to understand. You want us to know this. So come, Holy Spirit, we're listening, and I pray for the grace so that it's the truth of your word that comes out and not my opinions. Come now and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. What a situation. The Lord tells the church in Pergamum that they just happen to live in the same city where Satan dwells. And please notice he doesn't tell them to move. That would be my first impulse, to move to another city. I mean, imagine that we got the word of the Lord and he says, by the way, Satan personally dwells in Federal Way. I would think Auburn looks better and better. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's like, well, if he lives here, I don't want him for a neighbor. Let's move out. But instead, Jesus simply tells them to be overcomers. In other words, to live out their faith right where they are. Now, of course, the devil's influence is everywhere. But there was something unusually horrible at work in Pergamum. It wasn't just like every other city in the area. It was a stronghold, a place where Satan's presence was openly at work. Now, you and I don't live in Pergamum. But the concept of places and situations and even people where darkness seems to have an unusual grip is not unknown to us, is it? Who among us has not driven through a particular place feeling strangely uneasy or worked where we felt oppressed, just being in the building, or who hasn't had a family member seem to fall under a spell? And become an entirely different person whom we barely recognize anymore. You relating? The fact is, all of us are intuitively aware that such strongholds exist. But we may not have known what we are dealing with or what to do about it. Today, we'll look more closely at the city of Pergamum and then reflect on the authority and responsibility given to us to bring down such strongholds. I have no doubt the believers in Pergamum learned to use the same weapons we'll talk about now. Now, in all truth, I'll only talk about one of them because I don't have time today. But we're going to talk about that one and get it in our heart. Why did Satan live in Pergamum? It wasn't the climate. It wasn't because he didn't like Sardis. The Lord introduced himself to this church as the one having the sharp two-edged sword. 
Believers in that city had already faced the threat of the Roman two-edged sword. One of their members named Antipas had died a martyr's death, very likely because he refused to participate in the worship of the Roman emperor. And participation in that worship was considered a loyalty test to Rome. Anyone refusing to do so was considered a traitor, so the church constantly lived under the threat of the sword. There were in Pergamum numerous temples to various pagan gods and goddesses. I mean, we have the archaeology of the place. It's quite a sight. It's unearthed. You can see it. Um, one of these entire temples has been transported and is in Berlin. You can see it whole, in color. All of, you know, it's, it, so we know what was there. There was a temple to Zeus. You know, he's the old head god who's always getting drunk and having sex with somebody. And then you have Asclepius. Asclepius is the god of healing. You see it still on our, on our medical symbols when you have a, a pole with these intertwined snakes. Yeah. All right. Asclepius was a snake god, and he was the god of healing. And so when you go to his temple there, it's still there. You can still see the carvings. And, and you've, you've got snakes, and they'd have pits of snakes, and they'd sit and interpret them, and, they'd, and they, you know, it was built around the snake. And so he's the, the, the healing god. He had, he had daughters. Uh, and, uh, Panacea was one of them. What was the other one? And, and we still use all that terminology today. Athena, that there's a temple to Athena, great uh, female goddess. Dionysus, the god of, of wine. Of course, you get, they would have these uh, drunken times where the, uh, one of the things they would do is the, the women of, of, of Pergamum at, at this festival, this fall festival for Dionysus, they'd all get drunk and run through the hills. And you can just imagine what that entailed. But such temples existed in every city in the region. Their presence did not make Pergamum unusual. What set this city apart was its temple to the worship of the Roman emperor. It hosted the first such temple built in Asia about 29 B.C., the deification of a political leader combined with the threat of physical violence if anyone does not worship that leader is the very essence of the spirit of Antichrist. You follow that? Antichrist is a specific thing. Ultimately, it will be the embodiment of Satan in a human being. But it has to do with this thing when you take the political system and your and your and your sword, and you force the population to worship a man. That's the heart of Antichrist. So Pergamum was enduring a foretaste of the Antichrist spirit. It had a strong, active, satanic presence hovering over it. They were already living in the terrible spiritual climate of the last days. Now, you need to understand that the Antichrist spirit is not something that will just come once at the end of time. It has been popping up in human history like dandelions in your front lawn all through human history. The first major expression of it is the Tower of Babel. That was what the deal was. Nimrod, apparently, who had said he was a great hunter, but it means as a great hunter of men. He was a great slaughterer. And he, he gathered all the people at this tower, and they were all going to worship one thing, and ultimately it would have been him. And God said, way too early to have worldwide Antichrist. Can't have it now. Have to have, to have many more people saved, waiting for Steve Shell and a whole bunch of people in Federal Way to come. Can't have this now. Seriously. 
He's been waiting for you. God's in control of history, and he keeps his foot on that brake. I mean, he's not causing all this stuff, but he, he, but he sure hems us in. And he will only allow what he'll allow because he's waiting for every soul who will come to him. He knows who you are before you were even born. And he's been waiting for you. And so when, when Babylon, Babel tried to start with all of that, what did he do? He divided the peoples, remember, into different language groups and all. And so that people began to have, you know, by our nature, pulled into these groups and opposed one another. So that when an antichrist would try to rise up, other nations would attack. That's the system he put in place. I think one of the most recent, really pure expressions of antichrist was Hitler. And you'll notice Hitler could not take over the world. Other nations rose up, attacked him, and God was with us in doing so, and brought that down. It was, a, it was an attempt for antichrist to manifest. And it was put down, because the time is not yet. But the last, from chapter 4 through 22 of the book of Revelation, describes the last seven years of earth's history. And at that point, God will allow Antichrist to go worldwide. What he tells, what he, what's going on in Pergamum is they have the, this, this spirit being expressed. They have this temple to the Roman emperor. And what was the deal? Well, in front of the temple was a, was a great cauldron. It's still there. And, and, and in it was, was coals, and you would have to come to this temple to show your loyalty to Rome. And as you filed in, you would take a pinch of incense, you'd throw it in there, and you'd say something to the effect of, Hail Divine Caesar. Now, let's say you're a Christian. Can you see the dilemma? And you, Antipas was clearly a godly man and came to this thing. There'll be soldiers there with a sword, the whole nine yards, and he refused. And probably his head came off or he was taken out and whatever was done to him. So the entire population is terrified. And when they would have community gatherings, not just, worship, not just those who decided to go to the temple, you'd have community gatherings, you had to go pinch the incense, put it in the altar, and say, Hail Divine Caesar. And if you're not, you're disloyal to the Roman Emperor, you're a traitor, and the sentence is death. That's the Antichrist scenario. What will the Antichrist do in the last days? You will not get a mark on your hand or your forehead to buy or sell. You'll be pushed out of the economic system and starved if you do not, in some form, pinch incense or whatever it will be, and worship him. That's where we're headed. That's the, but no, we're not there yet. Hallelujah. We're still in the days of the harvest. And that's why we need to use them well. All right, that's the situation in Pergamum. That's why he says to him, you live where Satan dwells. See, Satan personally shows up with Antichrist. The Antichrist is not just demonically possessed. The Antichrist is satanically possessed. The head is there. Why, was this, why is this hard for us to believe? I mean, if you're a visitor today, you're going, oh my heaven, honey. When he puts his head down, run. <laughs> Guy's a space cadet which may be true, and I will put my head down at times. Just don't hurt yourself on the way out. But, but listen to this first. Why is this kind of thing hard for us to believe? Why is it hard for us to do, when you hear something about Satan lives in that town and, and all this stuff, why is it hard for us to believe? Most of the world believes and operates in the spiritual realm. They think of life as involving a physical and a spiritual dimension. 
But you and I live in a part of the planet that doesn't. We think the spiritual world is mere superstition. And our priests, quote, are constantly trying to reinforce this view by proving the universe has no creator and that humans are highly evolved animals with only a body and mind which cease to exist when we die. There was another one of these articles. They said, oh, we've found the universe is bigger than we thought. And so there's clearly more opportunity for life to exist somewhere else. Why is it so important to them to find water on Mars or, or life somewhere else? What's the deal? What's driving this? It's a religious issue. If we can somehow prove that life has evolved clearly apart from anything here in the Bible, then we've proven that it's simply a, a biological accident or whatever it is, and there's no God. Why do we spend all this time trying to talk about, you know, having drawing you pictures of, 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 of your ape ancestor? I mean, what, what was the latest one? We got a new one here. Um, and, 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 and so ultimately we've all evolved from monkeys. And, and the, what's the, why is it so important? I mean, Darwin wrote that, start, he started his, he wrote his Origin of Species just a matter of years after his 12-year-old daughter died. And he was livid at God. It's, 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 a, it's a, a war against God. This is a battle. And you live in the dead center of it. The United States, Western Europe, that's, this is where it is. And I just want you to see this, the culture that you're in. Because the whole world doesn't think like we do here. Everybody isn't like this. You live in this place. This worldview can be called Western rationalism and is centered in Western Europe, the United States, Canada, and Australia. And notably, all these were Christian in their history, weren't they? What happened? In my opinion, as the Western church died spiritually, our faith became increasingly powerless. We said we believe in God, but all other spiritual expressions were viewed as primitive superstition. Angels, miracles, demons, visions, it's all considered primitive superstition, which we now psychologically explain away. Oh, we may go to church, we may sit in rows and sing three hymns and listen to a lecture, but don't talk to us about healing. Don't talk to us about demons. Don't talk about the devil. That's just all primitive silliness. And so what we did is we, we disempowered the, the, the Christian church. Well, it doesn't take long for the next generation to realize they're just listening to philosophical malarkey. God doesn't show up. Who's going to believe in this nonsense? You may need some order in your life to go sit in a row and listen to religious talk, but your kids don't, and they're not going to do it for you. And so it only takes a generation or two. Everywhere we went, in a generation or two, our children became functional atheists. So today, even in a Pentecostal church, which, by the way, you are in, many of us feel uncomfortable talking about spiritual strongholds. The subject itself embarrasses us and slightly frightens us. All right, let's talk about it. What is a stronghold? First of all, I would define it as a mind where Satan's lies are unquestioningly believed. Yeah. His real power over this planet is in deception. Yeah. He is, Jesus said, the father of lies. The way he gets a hold of our lives is by lying to us and getting us to believe it. Actually, the prophetic word that just came said, some of you believe 
something's died in your life, that your walk in Christ has died. Well, where does that kind of lie come from? But if he can get you to believe it, you see, then you begin to focus your life in alignment with the lie. Why could he offer Jesus the kingdoms of the earth? Because the human race has been deceived. He doesn't have a right to this planet. It's not his. But he has been given permission to lie. And boy, it's worked. So he comes into us and he lies. Do you know people that begin to believe a lie? You have young people who begin to say, I'm, I'm, I'm ugly. And they're not ugly at all. They're beautiful. But they don't think so. I mean, they really don't think so. I'm no good. I'm stupid. Stupid. You're one of the smartest people in the family. No, no, I'm stupid. And you're thinking, where does that come from? You're not stupid. Try to talk them out of it. They totally believe it. And when the devil gets in there and gets a stronghold in the mind, that person begins to follow that thing. And it's, it's just like the, the, the pan piper, you know? Just, they're, just, they're just following this thing. And, you're, and after a while, someone you once knew and loved, you hardly know anymore. It's like somebody took over their body. You know, where are you? And what did you do with my, with my child? Or my parent? These are strongholds. Why do I say this? If you don't understand what you're dealing with, now listen to me, please don't go to people and say, ah, I know now, you're demon possessed. Don't do that. <laughs> Remember where you live, for one thing. But I'm not saying they're demon possessed. That's a whole, a whole other distinction as to what that means. But they are harassed and deceived. A stronghold is a place where a demonic influence has taken up residence. The devil, uh, this, these, these demonic forces, they are fallen angels who followed Lucifer. They actually dwell places where they're welcomed. You know, we often look at, at pagan societies and we say, oh, those silly people, they worship trees and stones. They are so primitive and so dumb. No, they're not. They're no dumber than you are. For, no, let's say that another way. <laughs> they are... They are as smart as you are. <laughs> they are. And what you don't realize, you see, and, and we've kind of had this naivete. It's almost like an adolescence here in, in the Western society. We've had a lot of Christian culture. And so we don't, we don't have an openly flagrant demonic activity, or we haven't had. It's coming on fast. We are welcoming it in fast. People in these societies are coping with demonic powers. They are appeasing them. They don't think it lives in the stone. It, its power may be there, but they're dealing with bigger things than stones and trees and stumps. Don't think that. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have the power of Jesus Christ and you're living in an area which is heavily oppressed and afflicted with these things, and you know it, I mean, you're watching strange, bizarre things, people getting sick, all kinds of things, and you know where it's coming from, you'll appease them too. One of the powerful things I watched was many years ago, our first trip in South Africa, and we were way out in, 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 in uh, the, the Transkei in a place called Indibella, we built a church and we had a big tent set up and we had a medical clinic and we were praying for the sick and, and also giving medicine. And then in the evenings, we'd have services. And we had as many as 600 people. 
I mean, they're walking barefoot 20 miles, some of them. It was just a, I'll never forget that as long as I live. It was a marvelous mission. And one of the people that got saved in this mission was a witch doctor. Now, don't think some kind of silly thing with feathers or what. This guy is one of the, you know, certain people have it. I mean, they're bright, they're strong. You can feel the leadership. This is one of those guys. He just, this is what he was. He was the, actually, he was the leader and the witch doctor all at once. And he would come and he'd sit and watch this. And as it went on, he gave his life to Christ. Now, here's what, I, and I said to somebody, I said, how did he get into witch doctoring? And they said, well, of course he did. He loves his people. And he had nothing else. These, and when you're out in a place, you're out up here where there's no medical care, there's no help, there's no running water, there's no power. The only thing he had to offer his people was what he knew. So he gave them witch doctoring. And when he saw a power that could help them and heal them and care for his people greater than that, that demonic realm that he'd been working in, he happily traded it in. You follow? Don't think, don't think the rest of the world's a bunch of fools, superstitious idiots, and we, because we have iPhones or whatever, that we suddenly, you know, we're just a whole other breed of cat. You're not. They're as smart as you are. They're absolutely as smart as you are. And they're dealing with realities, and you and I in the Western world are really quite naive. And we're having our, we, we, but we can't be naive much longer because it's coming fast here. A culture which, in which evil has become an accepted part of everyday life. That's, I, I won't develop that. Where do we encounter strongholds? Well, at family, work, in cities, in regions, in churches. What would you say was the prevailing spiritual climate of this region? And I just listed some of the things that I've seen. Sorrow, loneliness, sexual temptation, broken families, communities. Very little relationship, is there? You know, kind of that community thing. Distrust of leaders. I asked a longtime uh, Washingtonian who grew up and raised here and said, what, what would you say? And, and her comment was apathy. The thing I've seen all my life is apathy. In other words, a hopelessness. Who cares? Nothing's going to change anyway. Depression. Every place isn't like this. Oh, they aren't all just happy and euphoric. They've got their own issues. But every place isn't like where you live. I've lived a number of places. They all have their, their, their strongholds and they differ. You go another place, it'll be a different kind of thing than what you experience here. But the solution isn't, oh, now that we've heard this, hon, let's move. The solution is to bring down the strongholds. That's why we're talking about this. And it can be done. It can be done. Who's responsible to overcome strongholds? Well, you know what I'm going to say. You are. Um, but look at Matthew 13. Let's just listen to the Lord. Let him say it. The parable. I love this parable. It's the parable of the mustard seed. It's, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown... It is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. All the broken, all the needy come and find shelter there. 
the mustard seed. What is the seed that he's talking about? What is this mustard seed that when thrown into a, the, the field grows up not simply to be another little plant, but greater than the other plants? Please notice that. Greater than the other plants. What is the seed? If you look at a little farther down, he's explaining the parable of the tares. Look at verse 37. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, Jesus, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are what? Sons, and it would be the daughters of the kingdom. See that? It's people. What, who, what, is, what does he do? When he, he sows this, this weak, powerless, apparently, tiny, insignificant little seed, and he sows it in a garden. And it has a power in it that becomes the greatest tree in the garden. How many have ever been in a workplace and you said, God, I am the only Christian here. Would you get me another job? <laughs> Did he answer? He left you there, didn't he? See, if you understand this principle, you'll realize why. You've been in a classroom. I'm the only Christian. I'm the only Christian in my family. God, give me a new family. Does he? He says, seed, hello. You're the seed. You have the contagious disease. You have a power in you that's greater than the power in the world. And when we begin to understand it and learn to use it, because you can have it and not know how to use it, when you learn to use it, you can, he can put you anywhere. And if you, if you begin to do these things, you transform the environment into which he placed you. You following? You can change. And that's our whole role. If we put you in a jail cell with 10 other criminals, a year or two from now, we ought to be able to open that door and out would walk an entire choir. Because you have the contagious disease. You have the power that changes other people. What are our weapons? And I'm just, these are, I'm just giving you a, a sense that there's more than what I'm going to talk about. I'm only going to talk about prayer, but I want you to see there are more, and there's more than I list. Prayer, uh, consistent, prolonged, agreeing, faith-based prayer. Worship. I mean, worship opens the presence of the Lord uh, and breaks these barriers constantly. Power gifts, the undeniable reality. Would you say that the stronghold is beginning to break there in New Ireland, Papua New Guinea, when suddenly a man deaf from his youth, his childhood, is hearing? You see, the truth begins to just break out. Undeniable reality breaks in. Prophetic modeling, that's something I won't talk about, but... There's a way in which the Christian church can come into a community and do the exact opposite of the prevailing stronghold. So if greed is a stronghold, the church comes in and is generous. If legalism and harshness, the church comes in and is grace-filled, openly so, actively, aggressively grace-filled, and shows the world the truth. Because what is holding that community? A lie. A lie. Their world is upside down. They are deceived. And when suddenly they see the heart of God in action, the truth 
begins to break the lie. How do we bring down strongholds? Well, by prayer is the one I'm going to pick today. But it's not just prayer. You say, oh, I knew we were going there, prayer. Sure. Oh, God, help us. Well, that's why we're having this conversation. It's not just prayer. It's a certain kind of prayer. It's prayer with some principles at work. All prayer isn't going to help you much. In fact, some of it will just get you in more trouble. Prayer, first of all, has to have consistency. Jesus tells us we are not heard for our many words. But he also tells us to pray always and not lose heart. So the key is consistent praying over time, not lengthy prayers. How many, again, are praying for some of our missionaries? Is that an exhausting task? Does it just, just drain you? Are you having an enormous burden by, by lifting them up on a daily basis? Just mentioning them before the Lord? It's easy, isn't it? Really. That's all it takes. Not, not sitting and grinding it out somewhere. Oh, oh, I mean, I'm not against you travailing. If, I mean, since the God will at times, that's, a, that's my third point. But it isn't a, it isn't a hard thing. What, what is the key to this is consistency over time. Changing a community, changing an environment, changing a stronghold often takes years. So you set yourself to do it with understanding as to what you're doing. When uh, Mary and I went to Oak Harbor, there was about 30 people, 40 people in a rec room of a house. We just, we just little benches in a little tiny rec room. And they had been going for about a year or so, most about five families really from, from Dutch Reformed background. And, and they'd gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that was the end of the Dutch Reformed. And, and, and uh, they asked if I, we'd be their pastor, and they're... they're been another organizing pastor. And uh, I re- I'll never forget our first uh, council meeting, our business council meeting. We, it was in, we, we held it in a, in a truck, so you know how big this council was. <laughs> and we sat in the truck, and we began to talk about the church. And one of the, one of the council members said to me, well, pastor, Whidbey Island's called the rock. For a good reason. He said, it's hard ground here, brother. And I thought, oh, great. What have I done? And why on earth did I come here? I want to go to easy ground, not hard ground. And he was right. Church is struggling. Nobody's coming to the Lord. Kind of this, you know, just little, little embattled, little groups all over town, you know. And then, you know, a couple of kind of nothing going on, and, and it, it was saying, well, we began to do what? what are you, how are you going to handle a rock? How are you going to break a stronghold of, of apathy and indifference to a spiritual climate? How are you going to deal with it? You tell me. You're going to pray, and how are you going to pray? You're going to set in place consistent prayer. Well, we begin to have a prayer meeting once a week. We never had a lot of people, sometimes 10, sometimes 15 people. We'd come. We pray for an hour and two, and we just prayed for our children in the community. We prayed for the churches in the community. We prayed for the lost in the community. We bound the power of the devil in the community. We, we just asked God, come in here, and, and we just do it week in, week out, week in, week out. You just kept praying. 
Wasn't a matter. We'll do this three weeks and see if we have a revival. You just know we're setting ourselves till the stronghold gives way. And then, of course, you keep praying because now it's given way. What happened? Well, in time, I would say it was several years, a couple years. That stronghold, you can literally pray that heavy grip off a place. You, it's, but it's shoved back. It's almost shoved back territorially. You can see it give way. We began to grow very rapidly. So did other churches in town. It wasn't just about our particular congregation. People are getting saved. We began to come together as, as, as the, the congregations in, in the city. And we would meet at the Oak Harbor Commons on a Sunday night. All of us, and we'd have common worship, and we'd have leaders from all the churches praying for people, and we'd have these explosions. We'd have, we'd, we'd, we'd have 500 people in that Oak Harbor Commons, you know, worshiping our heads off. I mean, it was, it was great. Churches working together. City government starts inviting the pastors to open, serve, open meetings, and there's, there's this, this whole involvement with the, this and welcome of the city. How'd that happen? How did the rock go to be fertile ground? You following this? I'm telling you, you can do this in your city. You can do this in your family. You can do this in your workplace. You can do this in your school. This can be done. That's why I'm telling you this. This is an isolated incident. This is how, this is how well, all great evangelists, this is what they learn. If I had the time, I'd read you a fabulous story about Finney. Finney had a pastor who would go in for two or three weeks into a city before he got there. Just get on his knees and find some other believers. And they would just go for it. Praying down the strongholds and praying in the power of God. And then Finney would come in and reap the harvest. When that pastor, unknown to most people, Father Nash, they called him. When that pastor died, Finney stopped his evangelistic meetings immediately and just went to pastoring. He lost the spear that went ahead. He lost, it, takes a, it takes a gift and a grace to do that kind of thing. It can take years to change the spiritual climate. If you just dabble in prayer, you'll just make the devil mad at you. It, it just, he'll just hit you hard. We need to understand the power of prayer and commit to it as long as it takes. Now go with me to Isaiah 62. This is a beautiful passage. Isaiah 62, and I'm going to start at verse 2. Now listen, listen to what happens here. This is a dynamic passage. The, the, the Lord says, The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name. I'm going to change your name, says the Lord, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. I will speak over you your new name. You will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. See, those were the names given. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land, if you have King James, Beulah, married, Beulah is the Hebrew, for the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Now, isn't that wonderful? He's going to take away forsaken and desolate, and he's going to make us, my delight is in you, and Beulah married. 
Hallelujah. Let's sit and wait for it. I mean, he said he was going to do it. There's your prophetic promise. Hallelujah. So we just have to sit and wait. It'll arrive. It's coming. Just coming. He said it would. Look at the next verse. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. That's your prayer warriors and your prophets. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Hound him mercilessly. Demand that those promises come. Go for it. Pray. Intercede. Stand. Claim it. Believe it. To receive it. You get it? He has told them his will. He has said, this is what I, I am going to do in your life. Now, prayer warriors, you on the walls, you who discern, I want you to hound me. I want you to, to lay hold of me and pray. Why? Doesn't God just do whatever God wants to do? Why would he need that kind of tenacious intercession? You tell me, one word, strongholds. Folks, we're at war on this planet. This isn't a game. If you've had a lot of Calvinism in your system, you're having a hard time understanding what I'm saying right now because you've been taught God is in control of everything. He just does what he wants to do. And that's a lie. The fact of the matter, read your Bible one more time. And what you'll find is this planet is a battlefield. There is indeed darkness. There is indeed a war for souls. God is finally over all things in control as to when he brings it to end, what he will finally allow. But he is not controlling every decision and every event of life. And that is why we pray. Why were you told to pray, thy kingdom come? Thy will be done, if it was going to be anyway. Why were you told to pray, give us this day our daily bread, if it was going to be anyway? Because God wants you to have daily bread, and he needs you to intercede. Listen to it one more time. In fact, why don't you read it out loud with me? You got that? You who remind the Lord, right there, start with me. You who remind the Lord. Okay, let's try it again. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That is the consistent, deliberate, faith-filled prayer of men and women who say, I know your will, Lord, and I pray it in. Now, I just want to read a little bit more because it is, it is so beautiful. Start, I'll just pick verse 10. He says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, every obstruction, make a highway. This is talking about into your heart. Clear the things that block the Lord's access into your heart. Get the stones out of the way. Lift up a battle flag over the people. A battle flag, you watchmen, you prayers, you prophets, seeking the Lord and interceding on behalf of the God's people, you raise up the battle flag. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. 
Say to the daughter of Zion, your salvation comes. Notice they're speaking over it, speaking prophetically over the people of God. Your salvation comes and his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And I love this. And you will be called sought out. Not seeking for. Not someone seeking for God. You will be called sought out by God. A city not forsaken. How do we get that? We overcome the strongholds and we bring in the will of God. We bring in the purpose of God. How do you deal with someone in your family? How do you deal with... I want to apply it personally for a second. I had years of a stronghold in my own life where I had depression. Very severe. Um, I'm not joking. I didn't have the blues. I know what real depression is. And I had it for a couple of decades. Now you can imagine the wonder of it when, you became, when Mary married me. You know, when her, her, her great white knight is a depressive. I would have these times when I would, I would get in, you know, and I'd go in the bedroom and I'd get in the fetal position and close the blinds and close the doors. And I would be so terribly depressed I could hardly breathe. And the interesting thing I learned something about this was that one moment I would be depressed and then all of a sudden the thing would break off of me in the blink of an eye. That's how I know it's not just physical. It's not just there's a spiritual element that comes in. And I'd go out the door and I'd say, where are you? And my wife would be out there doing this, bringing down strongholds. And she'd be in tongues, praying over me. And God would hear her and that thing would break in an instant. These strongholds are over areas and they're over places and they're over, but they're over people. Too. We were early married, and I had what I would, it was the closest thing I've ever had to a mental breakdown. We were driving home from a gathering we'd been at, and I began to flip out. I've never had it before, and I'd never had it since. I could for, sort of feel that if I let go, my mind would go. And it was, it, I, I've, my mind's always been solid. I, I, that was just a brand new experience. It was terrifying. I literally pulled the car over and said, you need to drive. I can't drive. And we got me home and I just, I just lay down on the bed and I said, please pray for me. And Mary put her hand on me and, and I, I literally felt I was losing my mind at the moment. And she went, just went into tongues. And she's just praying. And suddenly, in the middle of this terrible darkness, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, this is the bottom. From here on, it's up. And that depression left me in an instant. And I got up completely sound of mind. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Was there damage to my soul? There were other issues involved? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. If all you deal with with people who are in trouble or who are deceived and confused and addicted and depressed, and all you do is say, take vitamin B and, and let's give you, you know, some kind of thing, you're missing something. We are living with people who are under strongholds. 
And you have the authority to break it. Now, where does that authority come from? Why can we approach the throne of God and, and cast down devils? Why can we call on the creator of heaven and earth to bless our families and our cities and come in and do marvelous works? Why can we expect that? I mean, I'm not perfect, are you? Do I deserve all that? Then why can I, why can I boldly approach the throne of God and intercede and pray and see him answer my prayers? You tell me, the blood of Jesus Christ washes me clean. I stand in the new covenant, not based on my righteousness, but based on Christ's righteousness, and I'm washed by his blood. And so this is our foundation. This is why you can pray. This is why you have such authority. Not you. It's Christ. You're clothed with him, and all the devils of hell know it, and the Lord knows it. And he hears your prayers. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.